welcome to the very 174th episode of the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, the internet's only podcast. <laughs> Joined with me today on the podcast is Mr. Quentin Smith. Hello, Tom Brewster. How are you doing? I am fine. Quinn's the theme for this episode that you have piled onto me is that yes. we're doing a Lazy Sunday theme. Yeah, because we're recording this on a Sunday morning. Am I awake? Sunday morning. No. Are you awake? Probably not. Not really. No. I've got I, a I, I've got a sort of a quarter cup of Joe sat. Is that what they call it on the on the counter that I is that who, what, who is that what who calls it Americans? Uh, yes, definitely. That's they they walk into Starbucks and they say, "Please give me a quarter cup of Joe." <laughs> Just like that. Why did? Why does? Why is every American speaking out of the tiniest Tom, corner of their mouth? Well, but, but uh, first off, this is a board game podcast where we talk about board games. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, we're going to be talking about two board games today. We're going to be talking about a Euro game classic called Gugong and its expansion Panjun, which we finally played after being sat on the expansion for like something dispiriting like two years um eight years for nine or ten years we've been sat on the gugong panjin box and we haven't been able to play it but now we have and it's completely crushed because we've been sat on it for so long uh that's yeah. so bad oh, oh did you just make yourself cringe there with that joke yeah and we're going to be talking about lizard wizard which is a game about lizards who are Wizards. Magically inclined. Yes. Ah. Oh, yeah, wow. We're completely out of sync. You know what? This lazy Sunday energy. I thought it would be peppy. I thought it would be funny. We're just screwing this up. We're just... It has the word lazy in the title. <laughs> I mean, what could you expect? Oh, no. Okay. How are we going to tilt the nose of this plane upwards towards... We're going to bring it back by talking about a game that we're both super excited about. Uh, a game that um, I think someone reviewed a while ago and said it was good, and maybe we should have listened, you know? Maybe we should have got a copy of this game and thought about it a bit more rather than just dismissing it as, you know, a big ball with lots of spaces on it. Wait, you're talking about Gugong? Yes, I'm talking about Gugong. You son of a gun! I reviewed Gugong with Matt in <laughs> on the 10th of May 2019, and uh, wow. yeah, I had it. I had it in front of me. I brought it up before we started recording. <laughs> um, Gugong uh, is was whatever. Uh, verb tenses are difficult. Um, a Euro game uh, set in ain't oh, I want to say medieval China. Basically, it's a kind of imperial China, and you and your friends are being politicians in it, trying to run the country, which is difficult because China runs on bribes and the emperor has just banned bribes. And so Gugong is a game of like, one turn you might go to the tax collector's office, one turn you might go to the imperial palace, one turn you might go to write down a new law, but everything you do involves exchanging gifts. All players have a hand on little gift cards. Uh, so you might be holding, you know, uh, a musical instrument. One for or, Debenhams. Or a statue. One for Next. Yep. One and, for HMV. And yep. And you're going to go to different Chinese government officials and say, I cannot bribe you. But instead, let's do a gift exchange. And so Gugong is a game where if you want to get things done, you always have to be giving a slightly better gift to the... Um, uh, government official than you're getting in return. But oh no, all these gifts you got in return, those are your piles of gifts to exchange on future rounds of the game. So Gugong is a combination Euro game where you're managing resources and trying to get points through engaging with all these tricky little systems and a hand management game where, you know, maybe you want to go and visit the tax collector's office so you can get some nice rewards from that space. But the tax collector is holding just a piece of total junk. It's a fan that's value too. <laughs> if you want to do a gift exchange, hopefully you're not giving that guy something much better than a fan because that fan is something you're going to have to re-gift in the next round. 
Um, you can learn more about Gagong from the video review that Matt and I did. Uh, it's one of uh, my favorite reviews that we've done. It's just very goofy and brightly colored. Uh, I, I like that video. Um, it's a good video. To, yeah, uh, what was it? Two days ago, Tom and I finally cracked out Gugong Panjun, a box that adds four different modules to Gugong. We played with one of them. Um, <laughs> uh, but more importantly, Tom got to experience Gugong for the first time. Um, so, Tom, I would love to know how you would describe Gugong to our audience. And I'm also pleased to say this game holds up. It does. Well, well, I mean, I presume it does. I haven't played it a second time straight away, but... <laughs> Gagong has set my world on fire, Quins. You messaged me Glad just last it. night and said, still thinking about Gugong. And so was I. I was in a restaurant. <laughs> I was eating some dinner. I just couldn't stop thinking about bribery. And it's great. It's a really, really, really solid Euro game. And I think I've sort of come to realize that I really enjoy a Euro game that has lots of kind of complicated bits and bobs and bells and whistles, but it boils down into one like very clean and centralized system. Yeah. which Gugong just is. Like you have this board presentation that is so complex with all these like, well, actually I say it's so complex. It's got lots of sort of areas and sections and bits and bobs to do, but really it's very clean. The presentation is very readable and very easy once you know what you're doing. And what you're really doing is worrying about this tiny little hand of gift cards for the entirety of the game. All you're really worrying about is managing that hand and making sure you're not left with your trousers down when you accidentally mess something up and give someone the gift that you shouldn't have maybe given them. It's, um, it's marvelously playful uh, on that note, isn't it? Like, because anytime players are always interested in what your friends are doing, but you're not directly competing. It's like, if your friend goes and visits a space that you wanted, it doesn't necessarily mean you can't visit it. It's just the official you were gonna visit is now holding their gift that they just gave them, which might be good for you. And I think that's a design through line of Gugong. It's like players are constantly, you know, taking rewards from different spaces, but in doing so, they often make, they don't make those spaces necessarily worse, although that is sometimes the case. Often they'll just make it different. Like I'm thinking of the board where you uh, you run your little horseman around China collecting different uh, taxation rewards. If your opponents take those taxation rewards, you skip those spaces. So it means mm. that the, the map of China you're visiting is never strictly worse, it's just different, you know, and your little horseman jumps over empty spaces. I feel like I wasn't using that section of the board maybe as well as I could have, because to me it was like just sort of a ball pit of random bonuses that I could <laughs> splash into when I fancied it. Whereas I think if you made that sort of a main line of your of your strategy, it would maybe be a much more sort of interesting system. Not that it wasn't interesting, more that I think I could have wrung more points out of it than I did. Instead, I was just collecting the tokens for the sake of being able to sell them away for some jade, which was the strategy that I pursued. And I think that's there's one thing that's really interesting about Gagong is that I think that you start off the game thinking, I'm going to be the blank guy. I'm going to be the jade guy. I'm going to be the boat guy. I'm going to be the intrigue guy. This is my whole thing. This is what I'm going to do. This is where I'm going to ring out all my points. But in reality, you cannot do that. All the systems are so, like, they're locking arms with each other into this big wall of buff dudes that you cannot get through <laughs> unless you give every single one of them a little uh, gift. It's, it's so interesting where you find yourself accidentally stepping on other people's toes, deliberately or otherwise, I think, trying to get your own strategy off the ground. You have to engage with everything else that's going on uh, along the board. Um, and it's it's so combative, 
right? Yeah, I'm trying so I'm, I'm, direct. I'm, I'm thinking of there's an interview with the people who made Pokemon. This is a complete non sequitur, but yeah, we'll go. <laughs> there's an interview with the people that made Pokemon, and someone said, I think the question was like, are Pokemon self aware? Was the question they asked um, this person who worked at Game Freak. And the, the game developer said, they're just trying to get by. Um, and that's one of my favorite answers in an interview ever. But Gugong feels like that to me. It doesn't feel like a game where, you know, you're specifically always trying to block players. It feels like you're all sharing a board and you're all trying to get by. And so yes. much of the times in Gugong that a player will absolutely screw you, they're not intending to do it. It's just the way that the ecosystem of the board shakes out, which means... I think this is a recurring thing. Every time I've broken out Gugong, I've had a great time. And not just because it's a great puzzle, but because I really do interact with the players at the table, but in a way that mm. is neither helpful, which is, of course, annoying in a Yuri game if you end up helping another player, or unhelpful. You're all just living in the same kind of city. Is that something? Is this making sense to you? Yeah, I, I think it is until someone does something really deliberately irritating. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like sort of on the end of a round where someone realizes that, oh, I think I remember that oh, maybe you only have a two in your hand. And, oh, if I just put this over this one, then, and realizing that, you know, there's, I think there's a high level to this game that I don't oh, yeah. really feel like I've tapped into at all in our, in our one play of it, where you can be keenly aware of the gift stash that everyone is hiding. Because at the end of each round, obviously you have to sort of reveal what your, your stack is. You have mm. to say, I've got, you know, a nine, a three, a seven, because that's how you collect more workers in the next round. Yeah, And I think that that, if you could keep that information in your head, you could enter some really quite mean and spicy territory where you're really fencing off areas of the board and locking things down and being sure that you can go to a certain space at a certain time. One thing that happened in our game of Gugong a lot was at the end of a round, people hanging on to the one card that they maybe didn't think they'd be able to spend or they didn't want to spend earlier on and trying to find any place that it can go to wring an action out of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which was a lovely feeling. I, I love that in Gugong, the way that like you might have a really good hand of cards and have a round, which is like a quarter of the game, where you just do really well. You just swap really good gifts for, for ones that are slightly less good, but, you know, that seems fine. You get an action from the gift, you get an action from the space, and you just, it's like you're playing a very very generous Euro game, but there's like almost a seasonal nature to Gagong where you'll pick up your gifts for the next round and look at the board and be like, oh, no one wants my bag of regifted garbage. <laughs> like, and then it's like an entire 25% of the Euro game where you're just trying to get by. Like, it's not about yeah. like, oh, I'm going to go here and get taxed and I'm going to run a new Lauren, then I'm going to visit the emperor. It's like, no, sometimes you'll have a round where it's like, who will take my lamp? Does anybody want my lamp? No. Oh, oh my God, someone wants my lamp. Okay, I'm going to go build the Great Wall for a bit. Bye. <laughs> but there, there is a nice bit of flexibility in that system in the sense that you don't always need to have a better gift because the core action selection system of Gugong is that you play a gift to this space, you take the old gift, and then if your gift was better, you get to do the actions on the space. But you can get around that by paying, is it like two workers, I think? You can pay you two workers to... or you can discard an entire other action, which is... Woof. Yeah. Uh, which is pretty punishing, but it's nice that it does lend a little bit of flexibility to if people deliberately want to seriously cut you off, you can sort of shore up against that by holding a couple of workers um, in, oh, yeah. in, in your in your worker space. But then I, I had a thing in the game where I think both of you were playing a game that was very 
you built up a sort of economy. You had a lot of workers in your worker pool. You were able to sort of spend them on these things. At least that's what it felt like to me. I was always looking over and going, oh, damn, how do I get that many workers? I've just got, I've just got these guys. And you both invested into uh, Mr. Double Wide, I believe is what you call him. <laughs> Mr. Double Wide, my name for the servant that is Double Wide. Very weird to have a game where all your servants are cubes and then you can unlock a servant that is two cubes <laughs> fused together. And it's like, what does he do? Well, he's one servant, obviously, but if you place him in a space that is like where you measure servants widthwise, counts as two servants. It's one of my favorite yeah. stupid components ever because there's no explanation <laughs> for it in the manual. It's just like, oh yeah, and if your boat visits this harbor, you can have Mr. Double Wide and he'll just work for you forever. <laughs> Everyone has their own unique Mr. Double Wide. It's just, <laughs> it's a very peculiar game. Yeah. It's delightful. But then but of course you, we both lost, like, as you say, because yeah, we were building up an economy and you were actually getting the actual points that wins you the actual game. <laughs> Well, I, I I invested heavily into Jade in the early rounds and it paid off quite nicely towards the end. But I think that might have been because people didn't think that I was going to get any sort of points out of it because it looks like it's so expensive and a waste of time. But then if you're, we had a, a special sort of selection of laws that made it, well, there was just one law really that, that just made, made Jade it better, twice yeah. as valuable. And we all, um, we should have all been noticing that and we should have been pressuring the Jade market, but instead we let you have all the Jade and then you got the Jade. Yeah, market. but there were lots of nice ways to get it that weren't the main market. I felt like that was the one space on the board that didn't get any action at all aside from, I think I went there in the first round to buy some Jade and then from then on, it was pretty much a, a dead a dead zone for the rest of the game because that felt like the one mini game that was maybe like on the on the spectrum of nice involved chunky little game that I like to kind of uh, a bit of a nothing. It was on that side where it was just you go here and you get some jade, whereas all the other ones have a sort of slightly interesting tweak to them or it, a little a little rub to learn. I Except for boats, which is just too complicated. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally agree with all of that. Um, but hey, let's give the people some new content. Uh, let's, talk, let's talk about Gugong Panjun, which is the expansion that we were playing with. Um, so this came out uh, in 2020, and we're only just getting to it now, um, which is a shame, but we we did keep it in our board game collections because we knew that this would be a good little expansion. We heard great things about it, um, and it is. And I'm pleased to say that I had some worries about it that proved to be totally unfounded. Um, so the two big modules in it are two new boards, which are like new little areas that you can visit and do a gift exchange to get an action there. Um, and I was like, okay, I, I'm immediately wary about this because it's going to mean that the like like competition for all of Gugong's spaces is limited because there's now more space for players to visit. It's like if you think of a worker placement game in a game where you have more places to put workers, then surely that's just going to make the game a bit looser. Not the case at all. Oh my God. <laughs> so we were playing with the Summer Palace board, um, which is a new location where it's like the emperor likes to visit the Summer Palace. Okay, what does this mean mechanically? Well, you can visit the Summer Palace to um, leave servants behind there and then the player that leaves the most servants on one of the two, these two like peers, essentially then, uh, it's kind of like an auction. Whoever left the most servants then uh, gets a reward and gets their servants back. Um, and the really appealing thing that you get for, for winning one of these auctions is you get your court lady, who is a large, uh, spectacularly angular um, uh, woman who comes back to your player board, and then you can use her on a later turn to double a really a turn you're having in future. So immediately I jumped on this. I was very. I spent a lot of resources winning the auction. I got my court lady, and I went, "Oh man, when I have a really good turn in Gugong, like where I play a great gift to a great space, I can double that and do them both twice. That's going to be enormous." And then Gugong is only a game that lasts about an hour and a half. And I think I got that woman, and then just held her for like 50 minutes <laughs> until I panically remembered I hadn't used her yet. In fact, I accidentally won the auction for her again, achieving nothing because I was still holding her. 
because I was just like, it it was so good, Tom, because it's my favorite kind of design in any board game where the situation I got into was transparently bad and totally my fault on an emotional level because I'd, <laughs> I'd worked so hard unlocking this court lady that I didn't want to spend her on just a middling turn. I would wait until I had a really superb turn. And I just didn't have one. So then I doubled <laughs> some super average turn in the final minutes of the game. It was like, okay, so but mechanically what I'm saying uh, is that in addition to this court lady, the other thing you can get at the Summer Palace if you win one of these auctions are these this new mechanic in Gugong Pension, neutral servants. Now the servant, like the which are basically your workers in this game, the servant economy in Gugong is super tight. Um, yep. So it's offering you ways to essentially to gamble by turning your servants into, or turning your actions into more servants, which means you can take those servants back to the original spaces on the Gugong board. So that's why my fear of like, well, surely this makes Gugong a bit less competitive and a bit more tepid is not true at all, because the new worker spaces are there to empower you to go back to the main board and do it bigger. Yes. Yeah, so how did you? what was your experience of the Summer Palace, Tom? Which is, I should say, well, only the first of four modules that comes in Gugong Panjin. The, the thing that I thought was the really smart about the Summer Palace was the Emperor has a very particular gift that he cares about in, in, in the Summer Palace, which for our game was pots. Yeah. He really, really cared about pots, which means that that auction for those extra workers or the nice court lady, or also you can get a jade, which was very crucial to my strategy, yeah. from, that, uh, from, from that market. That auction only gets sort of called, gets triggered when someone plays a pot card which I believe Quincy described as when a pot hits the floor. Yeah, very which... important rule <laughs> clarification. <laughs> but it was doing some real uh, mental, you know, fireworks in my head thinking about this idea of like, the emperor is, is so grumpy when someone smashes a pot or when someone throws <laughs> a pot directly at the ground that he goes off and grumpily spends a, a year at his summer palace and, and, and admires all of his nice safe pots that it's, will never it's be the replaced. It's the only explanation. It's the only it truly is. But I think that that part of it is so interesting because you can have these situations where suddenly that board becomes the most interesting thing in the world when someone edges just over you in an auction and you're looking at them thinking, if they have a pot card and they slap that down next turn, they win that auction. And suddenly everyone's attention pivots to seeing if they can somehow get their strategy to align in a way that will mean that they can now win the auction or they can, you know, try and push this, this inevitable pot card from being played into the, into the future. It's just, it's so spicy. And it, I, again, was thinking like, if you have this really tight worker placement game, or not worker placement game, really tight gift placement game <laughs> that's going on in the lower board, is having extra boards going to, yeah, like muddy the waters? Is it going to sort of dilute the game? Is it going to be less sort of violent? But not many people actually visited that place. No, not many people decided to spend their turn going to that thing. It was lots of like secondary actions where they would just send a couple of cubes over there as a bonus, sort of gambling on maybe getting these nice little additions. I think it was so smart. Yeah. Um, I'm, and a, a really great little module. I'm sort of realizing now that Gugong in some ways brings back what was really, what really excited people about the original Agricola, which is like that thing in uh, in mm. Uwe Rosenberg's uh, uh, the OG Agricola was that worker placement spaces would get more resources on them, so the reed space would over time gradually accumulate more reeds until someone goes to collect reeds and gets all of them. Um, so you know the the spaces are constantly getting better and worse, and Gugong feels like that where you have all these different areas of China you can visit, but they're being made better and worse, but not naturally 
by time, but by your friends. And I think that's mm. so much of the the sort of glutinous, exciting, chewy core of Gugong is like anytime anyone goes anywhere, it either gets worse or better or other spaces get worse or better. So you're constantly kind of in negotiation with one another, but not really. It's it kind of, I mean, like Gugong is not, you know, I wouldn't say it's one of the greatest Euro games ever made. I just really, really like it. Um, and I think your takeaway from it was you're really glad that I own it, but after playing Gugong, you weren't necessarily, oh, you might go out and buy it, you were saying. I, I'm thinking about it. I guess I just, I'm, think, I'm literally thinking about it. Like I, <laughs> I woke up this morning and was like, ah, to be back in Gugong, what a time. <laughs> Yeah, that's um, that's. I, I I was really excited to get back to the table. I had a good time. Uh, shall I tell you a little bit about the other modules that come in the expansion that we didn't play with? You tell me about those other modules. I really want to know what they are so we can play them soon. Please. <laughs> well, I will say, like, I waited for for us to have a three player game day before I broke out Gong because I do like it with three. But when you're talking about that mechanic that you like of one of remembering what gifts other people have and specifically screwing them over, that oh. is really pleasant in a two player game. Um, it's very, oh, I can imagine. very much present. And BGG agrees that this is a two to five player game. Before you get into the expansion stuff, actually, I do want to say that, like, I was just thinking when you were saying about how, like, that that, that core of Gugong being this constant sort of in, in consultation or confrontation with, with the people around the table. Like, I'm just thinking about how every single area of the board has that kind of edge to it. Like, the game is constantly lending you opportunities where you have, like, you know, the intrigue track. Oh, well, if you go up a space, if, you know, go if you go into... The intrigue space determines breaking ties. And if you go into a space someone's already in, your little thing goes on top, which means that you have an advantage by sort of catching up rather than being the front of the yeah, pack. Yeah, the tiebreaker encourages people who are at the back of the pack to try and take steps forward. To, to race upwards. Mm. And you have the boats where you get maybe some free movement spaces if you plonk your boat down in front of them. And then, you know, you have the only, and again, the only exception to that is Jade, where uh, Jade is just, it just gets worse as the game goes on. Yeah. It loses its luster. But yeah, every single space has an advantage for sort of, for, for, for following an opportunity that's been left for you. Yeah. Um, which I think is just so lovely. It creates so much interaction. That plays really well with the central mechanic of like, you know, you have these gifts that are numbered from one to nine and the way you go to a space is like, if there's a two on that space, then you go and play like a three or a four and you pick up the two. Um, but that means that as these spaces get better when other players visit them, they naturally get harder to arrive at because the gifts get better. Um, and, you know, so until someone eventually plays a nine and then there's no way, like it, it, the nine, the lovely golden lion statue, it's like you show up with, you know, a, a, a you know, a fan or a pot and the person's, you know, going to be really upset that he has to swap his lion for what you're holding. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, that's probably a really nice pairing of, of mechanics and theme and, and, and all that stuff. But yes, spaces get better. I'm just rambling now. Do you want to know about what else is in the expansion? Tell me all about the expansion, maybe. So the other board, um, and the big module that people will probably be excited by, um, in addition to the Summer Palace, is the Peasant Revolt. Um, and you could you could probably play this play with this instead of the Summer Palace, or you could play with both, because it operates a, a similar role where it's it's going to be getting you more of these neutral servants that you can spend to to empower other actions on the board. Um, it, so it's similar but different. Um, the way the Peasant Revolt works is people can visit it and collect essentially peasants to come and work for them. Um, but every time you do that you place these secret peasant revolt tokens face down on the board and when you have enough peasant revolts tiles there is a peasant revolt and all the players need to go and put it down so unlike the summer palace which is players slowly steadily investing resources into an auction um, uh, the peasant revolt is players slowly steadily hoovering up um, the peasants goodwill and then until it reaches a breaking point and then the players have to put resources into putting it down 
Um, and uh, so the way the way that this works, and this is probably going to be arcane to people who haven't played Gugong, but very interesting to people who have, is <laughs> when there is a peasant revolt, um, players have to pick up one of the discarded gift cards. So the gift cards you've got for next round. Um, and then you all put this face down and you reveal. If you've all put in enough numbers collectively as a group of players to put down the peasant revolt, the person who put in the lowest number gets a fat bonus, a fat reward. Whereas if you put in enough cards that you fail to overcome the peasant revolt, the person who put in the highest number um, gets a, a big bonus. And everyone else has to take a step back away from the emperor. Um, so there are ways you can manipulate it to try and absolutely screw over your friends to not... Basically, you could not ever put any resources into a peasant result ever to drive your friends further away from the emperor because in one of Gugong's greatest rules, if there's just this little track, you just over the course of the game have to walk up a staircase to meet the emperor. And if you do not do that by the end of the game, you cannot win Gugong. In fact, you you lose by, <laughs> which is like more Euro games. I, I talked about this in the review, I think, but more Euro games need a mechanic where it's like, oh yeah, yeah, whoever has the most points wins. Unless you fail to do this super simple task because you were so busy trying to get points. And if you fail to do that, then you are a loser. It's true. Yeah, I I, I need. I was just a, a hair away for most of the game until the very last time where I was like, right, probably need to hop up and say hi. Yeah, uh, uh, and, and that and it's thematically so fun as well. This idea of like, you know, you have to meet the emperor because you have to sort of prove that you've done all this work <laughs> that you've been doing in the other areas of the board. Yeah, it's very uh, it's it's delightful, super charming. Um, so the third module in Gugong Panjin actually relates to the staircase where you go and meet the emperor. Um, you cover up that part of the board with these little cardboard um, replacement staircases. Um, which essentially uh, make walking up those stairs to meet the emperor way more complicated. There are like uh, barriers where it says you cannot take a step forward unless, for example, you own at least five gift cards or you've unlocked Mr. Double Wide um, or you, you own at least three jades. That's a tough one where it's like, <laughs> so you might see that your friends are all moving towards the three jade space and then go to the jade space and buy all the cheap jade. That's going to make jade more interesting. Um, and then these palace staircases also offer forks so that you might go along the shorter, simpler track or the track that has more rewards but is longer. Um, so yeah, just beefing up that side of the game. And then the fourth module you can play with are just new gift cards which, and oh. I love this. So, you know, the gift cards in Gong range from one to nine. Mm -hmm. uh, what if I was to tell you that this, uh, this expansion adds um, a pair of knives that are value 10 <gasps> and a paper lantern that is value zero. <laughs> That's too much. That's pretty exciting. That's too, how does that, how does zero work? Uh, zero works that <laughs> it's terrible. It, whichever official you visit and give the paper lantern will always be upset with you. Um, <laughs> during the gift exchange. But the Paper Lantern's printed power is that whatever space you're visiting, if you do pay the penalty for giving someone a crap gift, you get to do that space's action twice. Okay, um, okay. So pretty good. And then, yeah, the number 10 is just like, it's a the, the it, it's just good. You just put it on the board and then all the other players go, because you've essentially completely <laughs> locked that space off unless they go and sacrifice some servants. Um, so yeah, that's, so Gugong Panjian, very much like... Uh, it, you might have if you if you played Gugong and, and didn't enjoy it, then probably from that description of Gugong Kanjin, you can assume that nothing in this expansion is going to make you like um, Gugong. But yeah. this in no way feels like a thoughtless expansion to me. I was really pleased um, playing it and then giving all the modules a proper read and thinking about it because it is yeah. It seems that a designer Andreas Stedding um, has really considered what Gugong needed a little boost with what would what would not disrupt the base game, which is excellent, but. 
um, still add extra features. Um, so yeah, just a, a really, just a, a really good solid uh, Eurogame expansion. And Shadow of the Sedan doesn't always like expansions. I feel like we can be some pretty harsh reviewers, being like, "This does not add anything to the game. It's just a cash grab from the publishers." But in the case of this, mm. it's not true. It's a good little box. A good little. Yeah, box. and I. I- I think I'd feel fairly comfortable even after one play saying that it feels like a really nice addition to the game, but by no means an essential uh, box of things. It's all these modules that you can add on to the game that feel very welcome, very good. But I, I feel like I could play a lot of just base game Gugong and still get an awful lot out of it, especially as the game gets quicker, as you don't have to do quite a lengthy teach because of sort of how obtuse the game looks at first. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. <laughs> um, it's such a good length for a for a board game. I mean, like, yes, it's kind yes. of tricky to teach because you have to teach like nine different things, like you're taking your friends on a, like a tour. Um, <laughs> I always think of myself as a tour guide when I'm like, okay, now we arrive at the Great Wall of China. Here's how this mechanic works. <laughs> we're going to build it like six times. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to build it, fall over, build it, fall over. Uh, that's fine. Yeah. Then. What a great game. What a, what, a, what a good little game. Should we talk about another good little game that is... No, we won't. <laughs> why is that, Tom? Why, why is that? Well, next up, we're going to talk about Lizard Wizard. Right, and I'm confused a- though because that's it seems like a good little game, but well, I mean, it, you know, it could be a gr- it could be a great little game if you're if you're someone that uh, I don't know isn't me uh, has patience. <laughs> well, so, for, someone on, someone on bit their tongue and didn't say something that was a lot meaner <laughs> than that. Ah, oh, sugar. So we played a game called Lizard Wizard, and Quinns likes it. And I don't. I'm just going to say I don't. I think it's much easier for me if I just if I make my intentions clear. Lizard Wizard is not for me, but it is for Quinn. I think I have to hesitate before even saying that I truly like this game because I'm not sure that that's true either. But for, you said to me, I love this box. That's not true. And you gave it a big hug. Always slandering were, you, me. On the, what actually happened is that um, I, I jokingly left it at your house so that you had to, it was your responsibility to, to make sure it got to a good home. Uh, oh, it's still in my house. Let's talk about Lizard Wizard. So Lizard Wizard <laughs> is by uh, designer Glenn Drover um, and has some absolutely... I love the uh, art, which is... The, like yes. So this is a big box um, economic wizard lizard management game. Um, <laughs> lizard Wizard is by, it's by the same designer and artist team that brought you Raccoon Tycoon. And in fact, just I haven't played Raccoon Tycoon, um, but I popped into board game this morning. I discovered that Lizard Wizard is now down as a re-implementation of Raccoon Tycoon. So bo- oh, board wow. game geeks re-implementation police have showed up and gone, oh, actually, like I don't know who decides this on BGG, <laughs> but apparently Lizard Wizard is not mechanically dissimilar enough from Raccoon Tycoon to be a whole new game. They're calling it a re-implementation, which, I mean... Wow. Yeah, I, that surprised me. Um, but, uh, yeah, so Lizard Wizard is once again about sort of tycoonish animals. Um, has absolutely gorgeous art that is like a perfect, like, um, perfectly equidistant between classic sort of 1960s fantasy art um, uh, all sort of like um, soft lighting and uh, and spooky skyscapes and uh, lovely animals in soft looking robes um, and just modern <laughs> art. And that art is by uh, Jacoby, or the artist listed on PGG, Jacoby O'Connor and Annie Stegg. Um, and Lizard Wizards is a game of cute little lizard wizards. And you collect mandrake it really is and sulfur and you collect wizard towers and wizards and there's not really enough room on the table for you to have all your cards in front of you. Uh, but that's okay <laughs> because you get to cast spells. Like I had a spell that transmuted 
uh, my uh, reagents into other reagents so I could sell them at the reagent stock market. Um, I should probably. Do you want to talk briefly about the reagent stock market? I should probably talk about how you actually play the game, honestly. So uh, <laughs> Lizard Wizard is a, it's a really interestingly situated game. I think Tom and I can agree with this. There's not anything quite like it, I think, on the market that I can think of because it is a not simple card-based economic engine building game. So you're running a little wizard empire and you're managing your reagents and your mana and your gold coins. But also it's got like a take that card game spell casting element. So you're casting vicious little spells mm -hmm. at your friends that are like knocking down their towers. Also there's a dungeon you can go in, um, which is- I hate the dungeon. Tom loved the dungeon so much that he sacrificed vital early game momentum to go into the dungeon. <laughs> While well, me and his friend were like, oh, well, I guess I'll get a wizard to improve my reagent gathering. Tom was like, dungeon, dungeon. And then he got slapped around by a skeleton and a giant. It called to me. I, I went into the dungeon seven times. <laughs> and throughout those seven visits, I got fewer nice baubles and trinkets than Quinn's got when he went in once. <laughs> that was, that was... The best time I had all day was going into the dungeon and just scooping out handfuls of rings and potions. So the dungeon oh, is awful. Like, we'll, we'll get to the dungeon. Holy crap! Because um, I think the dungeon is a really cool mechanic that I would. I, I just think I just love what they've done with it. Um, but yeah, so Lizard Wizard is a not is kind of complicated to teach, but really quite simple to play. So all you do on your turn in Lizard Wizard is take one action. Um, a lot of those actions are going to be gathering reagents, which involves playing a card from your hand, which gathers a few like things, like I say, Mandrake Root. There are like seven different um, sort of ingredients. But these cards that you play to gather reagents, um, they tell you what you gather on the top of the card, but on the bottom it tells you the what which reagents have their value increased. So if you play a card that might have you gathering Mandrake Root and Sulphur, Eye of Newt and Foxglove might increase in value. Um, so there's a little stock market of these resources that creeps up and up and up until someone spends their turn converting one type of reagent, such as Eye of Newt, into uh, mana. So let's say you have four Eye of Newt, you cash it all in for mana. Eye of Newt was worth six, so four times six, you're going to get 24 mana, but then the value of Eye of Newt will drop by four because you converted four eyes. Oh, wow. Um, uh, Quinns, this whole gathering reagents and stock market manipulation thing does seem a whole... It seems, it seems like a bit of a faff. <laughs> seems what, like a little... Do you not like reaching into a plastic inlay to collect little, little different awkwardly just, shaped I cardboard think, tokens to... I think maybe the fact that it... That sounds like... It sounds like that might be a two-person job for the entire game where two people, <laughs> one person has to adjust the stock market while the other person cashes out. Oh, yeah, we would we would take to slapping our cards down on the table and being like and saying a kind of weak, can somebody move this? Can somebody Does just this? please <laughs> give me some mandrake root? Come on. Yeah. Um so anyway, look, it's fine because yes, collecting ingredients is a bit of a faff, but then we get into the real fun, which is <laughs> buying lizards, buying wizards. Which are, I, yeah, I corrected myself from buying lizards, but all the wizards are lizards, um, which they is a, a thematic touch I really like. I like reptiles and I liked auctioning mm. them in Lizard Wizard. Um, so you'll say <laughs> you there's, a a there's a necromancer here. I'm going to start an auction for five mana. And then what follows is a really weird auction because no one knows the value of anything. Like how, how valuable is a wizard in mana? You don't know, but you do an auction. And we started off with a firm seven. Seven you, is the going price for a lizard wizard, and then people just blew the roof. We considered it crazy to bid more than seven mana on a wizard. <laughs> um, but then by the end, there were some crazy, stupid auctions where people were paying like 25, 30 mana for wizards, which is dumb, because if you spend your auction, if you spend your turn initiating an auction for a lizard and you lose it, you just take your turn again, which means like, 
there's we got a bit of this in I think um oh I, I had great fun doing this in Tinner's Trail by Martin Wallace when we played that um uh, last year. Or was it? Mm. Um, but yeah, where you can spend your turn starting an auction that your players, that your opponents want, so they win the auction, and then you just take your turn and lose all their money, and, and then you start another auction, and they're like, "Oh no!" Um, so that- and you know what's really fun and satisfying about that? Uh, <laughs> that's really good and enjoyable is when someone does an auction for something that no one really wants, but someone just spends a lot of money on something because you know it might fit with their strategy, and they turn over the top card from the deck, and uh oh, you just spent all your money on that thing when there's something that's better, and it was completely random that it turned up. Wahooey! Yeah, yeah, that, what a joy. that's also the case with towers. Um, towers you can buy with victory points or with um, a lot of a reagent, but yes, this is a peculiar thing where their price fluctuates wildly, and there's only ever one in the shop, <laughs> so someone can like spend four foxglove buy- buying this in- in unfathomably expensive druid's tower, and then the next card comes out, and it's just like a cheaper druid's tower. That- and then and there's and why would you not buy a nice cheap tower? Because maybe the right wizard will turn up one day yeah. out of the deck. Yeah. Oh, very weird. But then you get into the really, like, we're sort of working our way through the board from top to bottom. Because this this game has a massive board. The cards are all tarot (laughs) sides. Like, it's really, when I did it, I did a a preview on this game for All Sharks last year. And I found myself really quite captivated. Because you're you're being mean, and I understand, and that's a valuable service you're providing our audience. But... (laughs) This game is really captivating to like unfurl and look at because it doesn't obey a lot of common board game design publishing logic about how big anything should be. So the board is huge. Like the cards are all massive. The cards are all covered in like full bleed art. Like it's it's quite mm. a cool thing to look at and be like there's a lot of wizards here. I thought you'd laugh at that and you didn't, but is that cuz <laughs> like but it's true, right? Do you, I mean you're just you're just not impressed by pictures of wizards. I think I'm discovering on this podcast that I'm a lot nerdier than you are when it comes to wizards. You're a lot more charmed by the lizard wizards. I found I initially I was charmed by them and then as the game dragged on, I found myself less and less impressed by the wizards and it found is them a more, very more irritating. Game. And 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 wished and wished their deck would just run out. I was looking at Quinn said, "Oh, the game the game ends when the the deck of cards runs out." And oh boy, was I was I willing that deck to go down fast? There was a spell you <laughs> there was a spell you could cast that would accelerate the end of the game. That someone <laughs> like, please cast it. Someone wiped the spellbook shop before. Yeah. So then, so there is a okay. So this is again quite. This game is full of stuff that I do quite like for real. I don't think it necessarily like. I also don't think this was a bad game. I quite enjoyed my time with it. Um, I don't know if I'd buy it, but I might play it again. Um, I think I'm hamming up a little bit my irritation with it, and I don't want to be too horrible and mean and dismissive. I think this is definitely like a game. Th- I was gonna, I was gonna then just say I think this is a game that exists. So that's horrible. <laughs> I think it's, I'm sure that some people will get a hell of a lot out of this game. I just feel like the 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 thesis statement of what it is already made me start like groaning. Where it's a a game, a sort of an economic management sort of like get resources, spend them on a variable stock market of mana game. But then ultimately, like what you're gonna get is just determined by whether someone buys something on the turn before you or not. There were so many turns in this game where, like, I would buy something from the shop only for something that I would want way more to turn up. And maybe that's just a problem with me just being a little bit more patient and biding my time and buying things. But it just felt like 
buying every single card was the way to go yeah, the, <laughs> in it, the game. It, there's some incomprehensible, not incomprehensible, but very, very awkward design decisions. Like, So we haven't talked about spells. We're very nearly done with the teach here. What, so you, you've basically, oh God, you've got reagents and mana that you loosely turn into um, wizards and towers that will improve your ability to gather and store reagents. And then once you've got, this is a, a huge, there's a huge pivot point in the game where when you have a wizard and a tower of the same type, so for example, I don't know, alchemy, um, then you're going to start racking up huge quantities of victory points for every one of the alchemy take that spells that you cast. So at the bottom of the board, there's a, a constantly cyclic, well, not constantly cyclic, it just locks up totally, um, <laughs> uh, selection of spells. And they all come in the, different, the seven different suits of magic. Um, and if you can collect them, you can buy them with mana and cast them with reagents. And they do all kinds of crazy stuff. It's almost Cosmic Encounter-esque at this point. Well, not really. It's not as creative as Cosmic Encounter. But every different area of the game, there is a spell in this game's enormous deck of spells that will break that mechanic. You know, oh, this, was, this wasn't worth victory points. It is now. Or, oh, you can interact with the dungeon, which is a cool thing. Or you can... Yeah, it... it They've really gotten quite creative with the loads of different spell effects, but um, yeah, very peculiar to then have an economic game which takes like an hour and a half, but then also fill it with take that spells where, like there's a spell called Earthquake where you can just knock down someone's tower, which means that you can knock down, like say their alchemy tower when they have a load of alchemy spells cast, which means you've essentially just blatted away about a third of their total victory points for the game. It's just <laughs> wham, gone. It, like, is that a fun time to take that card game? No, that's horrible. That's not, that's like absolutely disastrous, especially when players have no ability to like restore or rebuild cards or wizards that get zapped because no. they, they, their ability, the fact when they come out of deck is, is completely random. And you can protect yourself with like, you know, there's spell shields oh, now, and that sort of thing you, in the market. No, you can't because I did that, which it, oh, this is, this, <laughs> this is a horrible mechanic. That because the, some of the take that is so brutal, you can buy spells that you can cast to protect yourself. But that means you constantly need to have the reagents on hand, which means you're like cutting off like a quarter of your economy just so you can sit on a spell and not cast it just so if someone wants to be mean to you, they won't be mean to you. Which yes, uh, which means t to save your economy, you're neutralizing your own like turn pace and economy, um, which doesn't quite work. But then there's the dungeon. No. The dungeon is really fun. Do you want to explain the uh... dungeon? The dungeon is this big stack of cards that sits and it looks at you at the bottom of the board and says, come on in, we're full of treasure. And what's it full of? Death. It's horrible. <laughs> so if you buy on the corner of the board, you can buy a familiar, which are another card and they have four different abilities and we won't go into those, but one of their abilities is to enter the dungeon. And the way this works is that you give the whole deck to another player for, for theatrical purposes and they shall play a tiny push your luck mini game <laughs> with you where you turn cards one by one from the top of the deck onto the table. What could those cards be? They could be treasure which gives you gold coins they're just worth solid points or maybe they could be items and the person who has the most items at the end of the game gets a big chunky bonus of points or as they were every single time for me they could be ghouls and goblins and vampires and giants and trolls and every single one of those uh is going to be bad if you draw one of those uh it's fine but if you draw another then you uh, die and you lose all of the good gifts that you had just pulled out of the dungeon and as i said before my total dungeon delving netted me two treasure and a hat, whereas Quinn's one dungeon delve netted you untold riches. It was the greatest. Yeah, I got I got so many victory. It points. was the heist of the century. Uh, but uh, there, are, what I really genuinely love about the dungeon is that as like it's it's got a fixed 
distribution of cards and as players go in and remove treasure you never remove the monsters or i think there might be spells that do it but so the dungeon just kind of gets worse over the course of the game which makes it even weirder that tom get got like you know like curb stomped by goblins every time he went in and then i went in later and just hoisted out two backpacks full of gold coins um unbelievable it was the best but there are spells in the um in the spell book that that we didn't get to or cast because the game's balance is definitely off um, but which let you put tra- more traps into the dungeon deck. So you might go in, hoist out a bunch of treasure, and then put more traps in just to you know hurt your friends' chances. Or there are spells that mean like, oh, if you specifically encounter undead in the dungeon, they instead become victory points and don't count as a hit. Yeah. Um, so and I really so basically, I guess what I'm saying is there's stuff in Lizard Wizard I really like, which is namely the art. I like the idea, if not the implementation, of you know collecting reagents and then cashing them in for mana in a weird stock market. I like collecting sets of wizards and then using that to cast kind of take that spells but definitely it wasn't that wasn't that satisfying in practice and no I, it, it was it was it was so dissatisfying that maybe you would leave it at my house as a joke <laughs> you know uh, I feel bad <laughs> because kind of- like I, I I do think Glenn Drover, Jacoby O'Connor and Annie Steak have got something that's like well, for some, it's got it's got seven point three on board Game Geek, and I think that is <laughs> not an inaccurate like you know idea of where it is. I don't think it's a bad game. I don't necessarily think it's a, a, a good or a great game, but like if you want a game full of lizard wizards that lets you cast spells and collect nice full blue pieces of art of people, it's a pretty good box. It's uh, yeah, no, I, I I don't. I'm again. I I think I am like hamming up to some extent how much I I dislike this game, and I think it was probably somewhat to do with my my strategy being pursue the dungeon immediately before <laughs> building up any kind of economy. But then even once I did, then sort of fold myself into the uh, once I I got my. Uh, even once I did sort of fold myself into the general flow of like what you guys were doing, which is collecting some wizards and they give you a bonus to reagent collecting and then making sure I was cashing out my reagents at the right time to get lots of mana so I could then win some auctions to get more wizards, to get more towers. Even then I found so many sort of jagged edges on the design that I just thought were just really frustrating. The fact that there's only one tower any given time is just, <laughs> it, it frustrates me no end when I would buy a tower and then immediately a better one would show up or I would buy a wizard and immediately a better one would show up. And it felt so frustrating as a design. There were so many things that just felt either tedious or uh, or, or, or antagonistic yeah, almost. Yeah, super peculiar um, to like have one of the shops, whether it's for wizards or towers or spells, like be holding the game up because it's it, nobody could yes. use it. And then you go and like you buy a spell, for example. And it's not a great spell, but oh, oh, and now a spell's come off the top of the deck, which your friend desperately wanted and immediately buys. <laughs> and it was like a way better spell and they can cast it because they happen to have the reagents. And it's, it's yeah, it's, it's structurally... And in terms of, you know, some games have flow. Lizard Wizard Mm. was like watching a lizard fall down a flight of stairs. Like, (laughs) it's like thump, you know, thump, bang, thump, 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 bang. But then it will, you'll get to the, it'll get to the end of the staircase. Like the game will flow to it. And that lizard will be fully dead. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you were saying earlier, like, you know, you're being like comedically mean. I do think the fact that it's lizards that are wizards is doing an embarrassing amount of heavy lifting, heavy lifting it really for how is. much I enjoyed the game. Like if this game was just called Wizards, then I would, I'd be like, this is... I think I would feel how you do, but I swear I swear to goodness, 
this thing that Forbidden Games is doing of putting animals into intense industrial situations, I'm into. <laughs> and if they want to keep doing it, I'm down. That's a note for uh, any publisher uh, out there. Just if you've got a game that you think doesn't quite cut the mustard, <laughs> put a lizard in it and Quinns will, will, no, will bump it, has, it up you two or three it, points on his scale. fill it with lizards. Like It has to be really, really jam-packed with lizards. Wall-to-wall lizards that are ideally illustrated by Annie Stegg. Then. I do have a slightly weird theory, which is that maybe one of the th reasons that I, I feel so frustrated with, with this game is that it might be something to do with it being so large in that the, <laughs> the huge, board yeah. is huge. The board is huge. It has this big like resource stock market at the top. It has these huge tarot-sized cards. Every single card is massive. They take up so much space. You had to cram your cards into your tableau in front of you. My, my friend that we were playing with just had a sort of pile of cards, <laughs> that a was, sort of that, rough Yeah, that gave spread. me anxiety to look at how he was. I know, I know. But, but he had so little table space to work with because the board took up so much of my huge table. Um, and, and, you know, everyone else is organizing theirs into, into nice little rows and columns and stuff. But I think that if this was a much smaller game, it would be one of those things where you'd be more keen to give it a pass or something light and fluffy. But because it was long and massive, <laughs> it was just, it, it felt like it should have been a more involved experience than it ultimately was. Because what it ultimately was, was, you know, oh, you might draw this really good thing or you might, you know, have your earthquake shatter your one dream tower. What a weird box. Yeah, definitely. So bizarre. Like an hour and a half game where you're very slowly building up a lizard-wizard economy only to have another lizard-wizard just shatter it by <laughs> casting a spell <laughs> offhandedly that flopped off the top of the tech. Yeah. No. No, Glendrover. Don't do it. Next time I become one of your lizard-wizards, I expect to have my time and effort be respected. Uh, Next time I become one of your lizard-wizards, I will make the tower shop two spaces big rather than one. Okay. Okay. Uh, and that, with that, with, with those cutting statements about lizard wizards, uh, we'll draw this episode of the Shadow Down podcast to a close. I think for a lazy Sunday podcast, we were neither lazy nor particularly Sunday-like on this recording. I think we 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 managed to make this seem like a weekday podcast. Yeah, I especially didn't feel very like a sort of. There's an easygoing amiableness to a Sunday that I do not think either of us inhabited on this pod. I agree. Yeah. Uh, I think it was a real it was a real board game punch up. I think we were talking about the wrong games. What would be good games to talk about on a Sunday? You mentioned to me you've never played original Azul. I've not, no. Still never played. I've I've played uh, you know, Pokemon Diamond Azul, you know, I've played the 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 sequels down the road, but I've not no, never touched the original one. So it would be like Azul for that sort of laid back abstract vibe, like a nice card game. Nice, a nice card game. Simple. Yeah. Like a trick taking game that isn't like sort of violent, because there are a few of them that are pretty brutal. And then, like, I think, so, and then, I've, I've mm. definitely believe that Sunday afternoons are actually a really good place for heavy, what well, long Euro games, but that you don't try and rush out. Like, I've played a yeah. feast for Odin on a couple of Sunday afternoons where you don't try and rush the game; you just let it take like five hours, yeah. and that yeah, that's no, a that's... really good fit. Yeah, next time the the Sunday the Sunday cast will be uh, a, a sort of retrospective on on the perfect sun. Oh, that's a good feature. Oh yeah, the perfect sort of Sunday afternoon of games. You bring over a couple of pals that you like. You sort of like cook a meal, sort of in between two of the games. We could do a recurring oh. feature where we do like games that are the best for a Sunday, games that are the best for a Friday night, and then we try and do every other day <laughs> of the week. <laughs> like, which you what inhabits a Tuesday? I evening? know yeah. what defines Wednesday. It's like I, honestly, we could probably do this feature. It'd be diminishing returns, obviously, but like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we could do it. No, that's 
Oh, that's a solid idea. Well, yeah, let us know on www.shutupandsitdown.com comments of this podcast address that if you want the week, the week in <laughs> Shut Up and Sit Down, one podcast per day for a week telling you exactly what you should go out and play on that night. Oh, that's super good. I really like that. Alternatively, if you have an idea for a better feature, you can also leave a comment <laughs> in the same place on shutupandsitdown.com. <laughs> Uh, in the comments of this podcast, 174, was it? 174, mm. 174th episode of Show Them Sit Down podcast. I'm going to go, uh, that's it. I'm going to go, uh, work out. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. It's leg day. It's leg day. Uh, why don't you go and enjoy the rest of your Saturday? Why would you reveal that to the uh... listeners that it's not really Sunday? Oh, you're just an absolute yeah, yeah, chaos baby. Gremlin, aren't you? Actually, well, this is the thing. It's uh, Schrodinger's, Schrodinger's Saturday. They won't know. They won't know. Wait, hang on. That, that, that me. I don't think you understand Schrodinger's <laughs> experiments four days of the week. I'm going to go and enjoy my Saturday. Goodbye, Tom. Bye. <laughs>